it's funny. People always be like, don't forget about the little people. It's like, why do they refer themselves as little anyway, you know? Why don't you just get big with me? They can see it in my eyes. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of John's Entitled Podcast, a partner of MoshPitNation.com. This week's guest is Jim Hawking of the band For the Fallen Dream, where he is the guitar player and backing vocalist in the band. Uh, This interview was actually kind of a long time coming. Uh, I had reached out to Jim a while back uh, when the band wasn't even around, like, not on around. They were on, like, the sort of self-imposed hiatus of sorts. Uh, And I had reached out to Jim just to kind of see about doing a conversation with him just as a whole, uh, but actually I'm kind of glad the circumstances didn't uh, pan out when I initially reached out because now we had a new album to talk about uh, in relation to the band's past uh, efforts between changes, uh, celebrating 10 years, and, and so forth. Um, interestingly enough, in setting up this interview, we decided to do it in person since now Jim lives here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and it was kind of fun because uh, I haven't really had the opportunity to, to do too many in-person interviews, uh, so we decided to meet at a local bar slash venue and to have a couple cocktails while we were recording, and interestingly enough, uh, the venue of choice was Pyramid Scheme because it was kind of centrally located for both Jim and I, and typically we got there pretty much right as soon as the Pyramid Scheme opens on a Saturday, which is 4 o'clock p.m., and typically there's there's no one ever there uh, the first, you know, I'd say maybe hour, hour and a half. Uh, and when I got there, that definitely <laughs> definitely held true uh, as there I was the only patron in the bar. And I felt pretty good about it, although I did feel kind of weird because, like, the only outlet to have my laptop be charged was actually right in the window uh, of the, the venue, it's, of, the, of the bar itself. So I knew people were going to walk by and see me with this laptop and microphones and all this kind of shit and probably be like, what the fuck is that? But... Uh, regardless of all that, it was I was really looking forward to the chat. I was really looking forward to doing one of these live in some place. Uh, I was a little apprehensive about maybe the background noise, but I figured since typically uh, the bar is not busy for the first hour or so that we would actually be able to skate by with very minimal bar noise. Uh, what I didn't account for <laughs> was the Professional Bull Riding Association thing being in town and performing or whatever the hell uh, you consider bull riding i don't know if that's necessarily a performance uh thing or whatever but basically they had an event uh in town it brought a lot of people and so the bars ended up filling very quickly with a lot of interesting people watching type people and uh there was even a gentleman with a a really red 1090 slash uh stlb uh for those of you who are cky fans and know what those are uh, if you don't basically the dude was rocking a gnarly mullet um so it was one of those things where the bar filled up really quickly. Uh, <laughs> I think, Jim, not only is it just weird for people to see two people holding microphones in front of them and having a conversation, but uh, I also felt like it was like this weird look of like judgment uh, toward Jim and I for basically doing this in a public space. Uh, almost like, you know, people were like looking at us like, who are these two fuckers? And like, why is their important, why is their conversation so important that they have to record it here at this bar? Uh, one of the gentlemen with the, actually the gentleman with the mullet came over and asked if it was a podcast, uh, asked if it was live, which 
amused me. And uh, yeah, but you know, I got a lot of people that were kind of giving us weird glances, uh, whether it was you know behind Jim's back or uh, walking through the windows and seeing us like having this conversation. Uh, so it was really interesting to actually have a podcast more or less in a live setting, like. Uh, but more in the sense that no one knew that we were going to be there doing it. So um, it was a lot of fun, though. Um, I definitely think that uh, having a few cocktails while you're drinking or while you're drinking, having a few cocktails while you are having a conversation, I think allows for a more natural sounding conversation to happen uh, as you are a little bit less on guard. Um, There was some interesting stuff that we ended up talking about uh, in regards to the new album, which is six. Uh, It's coming out on February 16th via Rise Records. Um, You know, we talk a a little bit about, you know, how Jim got into playing guitar. And, you know, it's kind of the the normal narrative that I try to do with with a lot of these conversations is, you know, how did someone get into something? And then kind of like, you know, through a sort of timeline of, of their career. But what was interesting is in talking with Jim that I kind of wanted to focus on was, you know, we're, we're talking about changes being 10 in, in, in a, in a scene that not necessarily a lot of bands actually make it to 10 years, or if they do, you know, they're not still necessarily as relevant as they were 10 years prior. It's interesting to see that for the fallen dreams, while not having been as active as they have been in the past, there's still a lot of buzz about this record, you know, six albums later. And it's really exciting to see you know a band potentially getting ready to hit its stride like now 10 years after the fact so it was really fun to kind of talk to Jim about changes and to talk about how they felt that the record was when they were making it and just kind of the success of of that album and being able to look 10 years later uh Jim does kind of mention that there is it's not necessarily confirmed anywhere, but that they will be doing a 10-year anniversary run-through of Changes, a tour that is a uh, run-through of Changes. So it'll be, I think that'll please a lot of fans. I think uh, obviously with them getting this uh, this new record out, that it'll obviously show that it's not a cash grab like some of these bands tend to do where it's like, well, we're not really relevant anymore. People only like that one record, so we're just going to play that one record and make, make as much money as we can uh, and maybe try to play some new shit uh, that we may be writing, but... Um, so it was a lot of fun talking with Jim. Uh, there's definitely some background noise. As I said, uh, the bar filled up really quickly. Uh, what I tried to do was I bounced down each of our tracks individually. And then every time one of us wasn't really talking, I bounced out the audio. So basically I muted whoever wasn't talking to try to cut back on as much of the background noise as possible. Uh, I tried to bring up Jim's vocal as it was, uh, cause there were times where, you know, in the, in the the course of having a conversation in a public space, you kind of tend to look around and, and all that kind of stuff. And Jim, you know, sometimes wasn't necessarily like straight up right on the mic, but uh, I think I tried to fix that as much as I could. So if the audio is a little wonky for you, like I apologize. Um, like I said, the intention was to do it at a public place where there was going to be nobody. Uh, little did I know, though, that, like I said, there is a bull riding thing in town. And uh, now I definitely know that when I see that coming to town, that people actually do go to that. And it brings a lot of people uh, to the downtown Grand Rapids area. So uh, if that is you and potentially you saw us at the Pyramid Scheme, uh, tell me how it looked from a from an outsider's perspective. Because, uh, like I said, I definitely caught a lot of weird glances. Um, also, I am going to be putting this out. Uh, about a week early, um, long and short of it, as as of me recording this right now, which is uh, the Tuesday of the the sixth, um, I am gearing up to go out to LA uh, in a couple of days, and between my traveling and 
you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm not getting back until I would have already posted the next episode anyway. And instead of trying to come home or have my laptop with me and, and try to post things and, and kind of ruin my vacation a little bit with like editing an episode and all that kind of stuff, I figured I would just go ahead, put out two episodes in one week and uh, kind of take next week off uh, and then kind of do all that so I can enjoy my vacation. So I don't think anyone's really going to mind too much. You're getting two episodes, so it'll still basically be the same amount, but you're just not going to get it next week. Um, by the way, speaking of, of the past episodes and all that kind of shit, holy shit, did that King Gordy episode blow the fuck up. Um, as I said in the intro and, and kind of talking about doing that episode, I definitely was not expecting it to do that well uh when i took the episode when i took the conversation initially i was really timid about doing it because i didn't want it to come across bad like when people listen to it that they they were like oh this isn't a good interview uh so far seemingly no one has said shit about that but it has caused quite the controversy within the horror core scene uh, with regards to what King Gordy had to say about the ICP thing. Um, I would be kind of shocked if I didn't say I kind of saw the writing on the wall with that one. Long and short of it, I I really didn't <laughs> expect it to, to do what it's doing numbers-wise. I mean, it, it shattered my best episode probably three hours into it being up. Uh, it's still going strong. It's nuts. I know some podcasts I listen to, this, this, the numbers it's doing are probably the numbers they do every week. But for me, I definitely was not expecting that. Uh, and I know a huge, huge part of that is due to FagoLovers.com sharing that episode and sharing the news within it. Um, so a huge shout out to Fago Lovers. Thank you to anybody that's listened to that episode. Uh, it definitely looks like people are going and finally checking out back episodes outside of just the King Gordy episode. So anybody who came in from that episode who has been checking out past episodes, thank you so much. Uh, I definitely was not, like I said, expecting it to do this well, and I wasn't necessarily have expecting it to react and bring so many people to the other episodes. Uh, I've always said that I think, you know, this podcast will be one of those where someone comes in because of one guest and it does really well. And then as a result, sees like, oh shit, there's like 60 some odd episodes. Let me check out what this person's got. I definitely <laughs> think that's what's happening. Uh, and it's been quite a shock. And uh, I'm just really appreciative, like I said, of everybody who's checked out episode checked out that episode anybody who shared that episode anybody who has included me in the conversation of of the things being discussed in that episode i mean that's really what this is all about is just kind of engaging with people who listen to it and uh, it's been a lot of fun we are going to get into my chat with jim hawking again uh if the episode sounds kind of wonky because of the background noise like i said i tried going back in and editing it as best as i could um but with the music and the background chatter um, it is just going to be what it is. But I mean, I've, I've listened to other podcasts at like live festivals and, you know, you can hear a band fucking playing behind them and the, the booming bass and all that kind of stuff. And, and I'm able to listen past all of that stuff. So, uh, let me know what you think of this. Um, and like I said, this will be the episode for next week. So you won't hear from me for about a week and a half, but definitely when I come back, uh, you're going to hear about my time out in LA, uh, all the shit I did, and uh, hopefully I will be bringing you the chat with James Hart of 18 Visions as well. So yeah, let's get into this chat with Jim Hawking.
So we are here live at the Pyramid Scheme here in Grand Rapids, Michigan, having some uh, cocktails and drinks and so forth. I am sitting here with Jim Hawking, guitar player of For the Fallen Dreams. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. How's it going? This will be really interesting to see if we can hear each other. Now I know why you were talking about those uh, headphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you guys are getting ready to put out a new record, your sixth record, sixth. conveniently called Six. Conveniently, yeah, yeah. We. Uh, uh, someone actually on YouTube uh, was like, yeah, they got a little bit lazy, I guess. They just kind of said, screw uh, it. I think you should have thrown everyone for a curveball and just uh, called it like fourth or fifth. Uh, yeah, that probably would have thrown them a little <laughs> bit for sure. Uh, Lamgo would have loved it. Oh, yeah. They probably, they've already eaten us alive for the uh, for the music video. So. Well, I mean, yeah, because you uh, have those uh, new amps that you plug into trees. Yeah, I, well, I mean, that's what you do, man, because <laughs> everybody knows that when you're filming a music video, you're actually playing yes. your, your, your instruments. And actually, your... the, there's a funny story because everyone always, you know, it makes that comment about music videos. Like, you know, people aren't actually recording live. Uh, Cold, when they did uh, Stupid Girl, they recorded that song live. Uh, that, that I'm not surprised because I actually I remember that song they had a really really big like live audience and yeah. all that that was a cool video I liked that I like it's, it's kind of funny you brought that up because I just saw someone one of my buddies post like a, that album cover today like yeah. on his timeline I thought it, it was, makes yeah. me wonder if it's a dude I was talking to about cold yesterday in an ETH Facebook group and he goes I forgot all about that fucking band At I'm going back and listening to yeah, it now possible. <laughs> yeah. um, so this new record comes out February 16th uh, Rise Records um, but let's kind of, before we get to current day for The Fallen Dreams, let's kind of go back, learn a little bit more about you. Um, why don't you give us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got into music and playing guitar? Um, okay, well, I guess uh, let's start in the summer before sixth grade. Okay. It was, it was a long time ago. I was listening to stuff like Bone Thugs and Harmony, which I still <laughs> listen to. Um, I almost wore my Bone Thugs shirt today. Oh, dude, I have like three of them because I saw them at 20 Monroe yep, last year. I was yeah, there. Yeah, it was yep. so sick. And their shirts were really cheap. Yeah, they were like 15, 20 bucks. But uh, yeah, so I was listening to Bone Thugs in fifth grade, and then uh, I then Corn was actually just about to drop um, Follow the Leader. Yep. Uh, this is 1997. Six going on, or yeah, it was set 1997. They were hosting like an MTV music thing, like where they were showing their videos and some of their favorite videos. So I immediately got hooked to them. Bought their their discography at the time, which was only two. <laughs> it was two records. Yeah, <laughs> before because the you know Fall of the Leader wasn't out yet. But uh, yeah, anyway, I I got really really into like the new metal and heavy stuff then, and then uh, um, you know I obviously wanted to start a band with my friends, so that's what we did in in high school, and we. I mean, we, we were just a bunch of dorks. Like, we, we didn't do anything <laughs> cool. Like, we, we skateboarded and we looked at porn in our, like... Did you find that in the woods? What's that? Did you find porn in the woods? That's That's oh. been a thing on podcasts <laughs> where everyone's talking about how, like, people of our generation used to find porn randomly in the woods. Oh, that's that's really... <laughs> no, th this is, like, the most cliche you can get. Like, this dude's, this, uh, this dude's dad had a, uh, you know, a... Hit a workroom, okay. like a dad, oh, yeah. a dad workroom yeah. in the basement that was locked all the time. So we would always pick the lock and go in, and there was this just giant stash of Playboys and Penthouse dating all the way back to like the 60s and 70s. So yeah, we were uh, obviously just ripping that up all the time. <laughs> it was great. There's nothing more awkward than watching, being, seeing porn around a bunch of your other male friends. Yeah, no, I, I mean, <laughs> looking back on it, I probably would have made a different decision, but, you know. Anyway, so we were playing 
skateboarding, looking at Playboy, being being 13 year old dorks, and then then we all discovered like you know hardcore. Found bands like Under Oath and Zayo, and um, I mean Living Sacrifice, all those all those Christian bands. Went to Cornerstone 2003. Everything changed right there. You're not um, the first person to say that Cornerstone was kind of where everything changed a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, everything, everything totally flip-flopped. Um, but, I mean, it's kind of funny, too, because in speaking of, like, Cornerstone and some of the bands you're mentioning, like, my wife and I, not being Christians or identifying as any religion ourselves, it's funny when we look back at the music we were listening to and it's all, like, Christian, the Christian metal scene. Oh, of, like, dude, I was, solid state and so I forth. was such an ankle-biting little douchebag. <laughs> like, I, I was like, oh, I'm a Christian now. And then I was like, oh, I'm straight edge, too. And then uh, I, I, tr I tried the whole vegetarian thing in, like, 2004, made it about a week and a half. <laughs> Respect to y'all who do that, but uh, not for me. And uh, I also don't understand why how people who are vegetarians or vegans or whatever eat food that's supposed to be like the food that they're not eating. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I honestly like tofu. I like I like uh, you know black bean burgers and all that stuff. But I, I get what you're saying. Like when you when you get down to like you know vegan pulled pork and yeah. like vegan bacon, like strip loin <laughs> and bacon. Yeah. I'm like okay, man. The real the, that's where you can't. Once you get to pork, you can't you can't emulate that. Well, you like, can try. We were just uh, on a trip with uh, two of our friends who are vegetarian vegetarians and we were in texas austin and i wanted to go to a barbecue place and then my one friend's a cook so he like took it like put it in his mouth and kind of tasted it and then spits it back out <laughs> uh but what's interesting is he's like oh we went to this great uh, vegan barbecue place and i go that's no i go because the whole point of barbecue is like the meat and how it reacts to being cooked for so long and the juices and like tofu's not gonna like the juices aren't gonna like <laughs> do anything sure. yeah so yeah, honestly dude the first time I tried to cook tofu, that was like the most agonizing process because I was really hungry, and I was used to being able to throw like something in the oven for 15 minutes. Yeah. 15 to 20 minutes, and the meat's cooked. Like it, but tofu, it took like an hour and a half for it to cook because it's so wet, Ugh. and it has to like dry out a little bit, or else it's just gonna like fall apart. And then yeah, dude, tofu, tofu is a fucking art. Tofu I didn't, is, I didn't know that. It's really, really hard to cook. <laughs> it's, it, but, oh, I actually, here, here's, if you ever do tofu, you can, like, kind of emulate eggs. Okay. Like, scrambled eggs. Okay. Because if you mash up tofu, right. it pretty much looks and like feels a like a runny fucking just egg. <laughs> so, yeah, if you if you ever run out of eggs and you got a block of tofu, you can make some scrambled it's prob eggs. probably never going to happen. Yeah, prob good to know. <laughs> <laughs> probably not, but. But, uh, anyway, so back to, uh. Being in a so the, the cornerstone music scene kind of in the Christian, uh, it's always weird because I never know when the the metalcore term really started. But I, I would say metalcore probably came that that term probably started in '99, 2000, yeah, okay. with like 18 visions yep. and uh, you know early bleeding through yeah. and stuff like that. But what's interesting is uh, kind of thinking back around that time. And something that I've always kind of found interesting with, with you guys and, and kind of having a little bit more of a sort of rapport with a former member in Jason. Uh, oh, yeah. It's interesting to think about how young you guys were when you started the band and, and relatively how quick the, the sort of success happened for you. Yeah, so I guess the, the, the real year that I guess we could use... So, I mean, we were, we were playing shows in 2004 and, you know, we're doing the local band thing. Then we, I graduated in 2005. We went on our first tours that I booked over MySpace. <laughs> um, 
Our second tour just so happened to be with uh, a band called Legia, who at the time was on Ferret Music, and that was kind of that was one of our keys into the castle. Okay. And um, we sort of that got us enough as Blood Runs Black. Seven, you know, we're, we're hitting it pretty hard, and uh, like we had a huge, massive following in Michigan. Like, uh, I miss I miss playing Michigan in those days because we didn't have to fucking worry about whether yeah. or not a show is going to be good or bad. It was just always really good. That's how, that's how it is when you're like a hometown hero type of local band. Like, yeah. everyone loves you, and then as soon as you go on tour, everyone fucking hates you because you're not playing every weekend, and they're all pissed off, and that people need shit to cry about. So. But yeah, you know, we got picked up by Rise in 2007, and then, um, yeah, that was it, man. I well, mean, Rise was a relatively young label at that time, too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, they had, they had Prada coming up and, like, kicking ass. And, I mean, I think Devil Wars Prada's first album did, like, 4,000 first week at the time, and that, at the, at the time, for a metalcore band, was totally unheard of. And um, you know we were we were like oh shit this this label is pretty serious let's uh, let's work with them and then met me and my drummer at the time Andrew who now plays for the Ghost Inside we're sitting at my mom's house uh, and we we get a MySpace message from Craig Erickson at Rise Records and we were like all right um, sick <laughs> this is every <laughs> this is everything that we wanted and it just came to fruition actually. Tony from American Me, because I was an American Me at the time. Ten-year love affair ever since, so. Yeah, it's really fun. I'm seeing that uh, I think everything's kind of having a fit right now. <laughs> What's that? I said this is kind of like having a fit right now. I think there's like a sensory overload for it, but whatever. We'll see how that goes. Um, but yeah, something I, I kind of always find interesting, too, about younger bands kind of having some, some success kind of right away. Right away is a relative term, but is thinking about how, you know, being in a band at such a young age and with it being a music business, I often wonder about basically just having a thing where you're now responsible to a company about putting out a product that they can then sell. And I think it's a, a, a thing that a lot of people don't understand about the music business, the music side of business, the music, yeah, the music side of business, is that... I don't think children, basically, like, you're, you're still learning to be an adult and be, you know, who you are going to become. And I just think about, like, all the things, like, the stresses of, like, a label being, like, you need to hit these numbers and recouping your costs and tour budgets and all this shit that, like, <laughs> I don't really think anyone really understands. Dude. But then the flip side of that even is you don't have a normal teenage, early 20-something experience. Like, For while sure. your friends are like, man, I had this job or I threw a party or I'm doing whatever, you're like... Yeah, I had to drive 12 hours to go to this show, and we blah, 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 and, you know, you're missing a lot of Yeah, missing things. a lot of, like, a real-life experience that you're going to have, that you kind of wish you had yeah. when you get past all of it. Like, and it's funny that you mentioned the responsibility of appeasing the label and all that, because, to tell you the truth, that we didn't know what the fuck we were doing, and we didn't really <laughs> care. Like, uh, we, did, we were just like, fuck yeah, we're on tour, man, hell yeah, and, you know, we just, we lived it up, we enjoyed it. Um, I kind of wish, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish, looking back, that I would have known what I know now to, you know, do do a lot better because we made a shitload of mistakes. Um, but yeah, man, I don't know the music side or the yeah the business side of music. Yeah, we didn't think much about it in the beginning, <laughs> not at all. I often wonder too with with. 
being a young band on a young label, do you think that potentially that may have also steered you in a, a couple of different directions, maybe with uh, uh, getting to the point of maybe like they were kind of ma- putting you in situations maybe where wasn't necessarily been like, this is a great tour, but if they would have been a, a label long enough and all that kind of stuff, maybe like certain tours or certain ways of promoting a record may not have been the way to do it and kind of just learning together as, as, a, as a business and as a band? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough to say because it was a while ago, but, I mean, like, I remember things seemed to just happen. Like, it, back then, now you kind of have to make sure that things happen. Yeah. And it, it's not, like, Rise's fault that it's the well, way no, it no, is. I, it's and rough, I was trying but, not to make it sound like I'm yeah, putting yeah, blame but, on uh, Rise. But. No, like, back, back then, I mean, we had... Uh, it was like, oh hey, here's your here's your revolver and your your AP ads. Like right. here's your spread in this magazine. We're like, okay, cool. So something else that I, I kind of find interesting too, and something that you guys have dealt with, as you kind of had said, and you know, maybe mentioning Jason, who is now the guitar player in Wilson. Yeah. And you're talking about Andrew being your original drummer, who now is in the Ghost Inside. Yep. And at this point now, you have other than I think other than Killswitch Engage, I think you're the only band that's had a vocalist. Then that vocalist left. You got somebody else, and then you got the yeah, original back vocalist the back. Yep. <laughs> but you, you as a young band, dealt with a lot of lineup changes really early on. Yeah, what, I mean, how do you think that affected you guys as an early band, kind of dealing? With I think I think it killed morale a lot on the road. It, it's like it's a domino effect because when you're 20 and you're having the time of your life, and your best friend leaves the fucking band, you're bummed out. So then you got two people that are leaving because they can't handle the the pressure and the, like right. they. They just think it's not fun anymore because they're stuck in that moment. And I was like, well, I, I want to do this, so I'm going to keep going. And, um, yeah, that's what I did. I was just, when no, no matter who left or came <laughs> back, I was always like, all right, well, I want to I wanna go to fucking Europe next year, so i uh, got to get someone else. Do you think it's what allowed, do you think it's those adversities that you faced so early on, do you think those attributed to being able to endure a lot of things that maybe would have caused other bands to break up? Oh, dude. Like, if you would have put 90 fucking, maybe 90 plus percent of band members in my shoes and dealt with all the shit that I dealt with, they would fold. They would all fold. Um, And that's just the truth, because I see so many bands break up for so much less. Yeah. And, uh, like, we had fist fights. We had, uh, you know parties go awry we had you know we some of us got arrested like on the on tour shit i mean it was like fucking acdc on the road for a little <laughs> while like at 2010 all the way through 2012 was an absolute fucking shit show um, and i was having fun because i was wasted the whole time so was everybody else but uh yeah when we finally stopped we we're like shit the band's like about to break up so uh yeah, we just kind of, I, 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 I was totally fine in 2012 after we got home from uh, the All-Stars tour at Never Say Die. I was like, fuck it, let's, I'm done. I'm, I'm just going to either start a new band or fucking go to school and be, be a lawyer or something. And uh, I was totally done. And then I got a phone call from our manager and he was like, it, he was like hey man, uh, I just talked to Chad. He's interested in coming back if you want to continue. I was like... All right, let's fucking <laughs> one more time. Let's give it a go, and that was five years ago now. So uh, I think I think I'm okay. Something else that I think was interesting too, in in having two different two different vocalists, the odd, a the the two odd things I always kind of wondered, like 
when you get a new vocalist in the band, or when you know when you get Chad back, how long does it take to kind of get used to what that person can do? And is it kind of freeing, like that you're like, wow, I can do more shit now, or is it more complicated because you're like, fuck, I gotta relearn kind of how to write to like work with uh, this new person? Yeah, I, I never. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Bless Dylan and Chad's souls, but I never think of them when I'm writing music. Okay. Like, uh, I, I mean, I guess maybe subconsciously I do, but I'm not like, hmm, well, this is more of a Dylan part and this is more of a Chad part. No, I, I just fucking write the song, and whoever wants to sing over it can go do it. <laughs> Whatever. Um, also, kind of around that time as well, you know, like I had mentioned already, and we kind of mentioned Jason and Andrew, it, what, what's it kind of like to see your former bandmates go and be in another band and kind of achieve success on it in a different realm. You know, like Wilson is sure. the same um, as you, but you know, they're, you know, getting tours with Guar and all this kind of stuff. And you're like, yeah, like, yeah. First of all, actually we got offered a tour with Guar, but it didn't we, work. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't work out. <laughs> I just, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so the, the biggest hit was, I mean, me and, me and Andrew have been friends since we were Three, four years old. Okay. We're 30 now. Right. So we've been friends for 26 fucking years, and we built the band from the ground up. So when he told me that he was leaving, I was heartbroken, obviously. But I was like, I was, I wasn't mad at him at all. Like the band was in fucking shambles. We were, we were a drunk mess, and he and one of the other guys didn't get along too well. So an opportunity came around for one of my best friends to take on and move on and do something that he loves in an environment that better suits him. So I was like, fuck yeah, go do that. That's sick. Um, Chris Kane, he was on the Relentless record cycle. He, he wrote a few of those songs. He's doing Bad Wolves now with yep. like Tommy Vex and... Uh, Doc Coyle, who will be Doc, on in a couple yeah, of weeks. Yeah, yeah, Doc from uh, God Forbid. Yep. Um, yeah, well, the funny thing about Chris was like when he left, he started this lawnmower business and he was doing all this shit. And then all of a sudden, he moved out to LA and started working through for all these big ass fucking bands. I was working for the Chainsmokers. Like, he's killing it. And now yeah. he's got a new metal band after years off of playing hard music. And no, it's awesome. I love seeing where everyone is now. Like, I just saw Naveed, who did the Heavy Hearts record cycle on drums. He's drum teching for Asking Alexander. I saw them at Tournament Row recently. He's doing great. Asking's taking care of him. I've known those guys for 10 years. Like, we did their second tour ever. Um, they've remained good friends. So, yeah, dude, it's, I'm happy for everybody who's continued. I do this, <clears throat> I do this for a couple reasons. One, it's fun. Yeah. Two, I like writing music. Three, Rise just will continue releasing our stuff. Thank you, by the way. Um, <laughs> I don't know. They, yeah, they just, if they if they're like, hey, I'll give you this money to to write an, an album and tour on it a little bit. They're like, okay, sick. And uh, lastly, and probably the biggest reason, I get to travel. Right. So I, I went to South America last year. I went to Japan. Like, I, but that's I mean, it was the first time in South America. It was my third time to Japan. So like, yeah, take me. I'll go. So. Kind of switching up gears a little bit with within the the band stuff, and we're gonna have to get a refill on our drinks here in a minute. Yep. But changes. You're celebrating ten years of that record. Ten this years, year. man. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that uh, changes came out January eighth, two thousand eight. It sold. Well, <clears throat> reported reported scans were seven hundred first week, and Hot Topic actually emailed us and said, "Hey, sorry, we didn't turn in any of your scans, so you actually did twelve hundred. 
They're like, oh, tight. Which back then we didn't know how to fucking gauge that at all. Right. That was pretty good for not having any promotion or being on tour with anybody or doing anything. But yeah, January 8th, and that kind of started like a whole thing. We didn't we didn't know what it was like to be to be hyped, and we right. had a, we had a lot of fucking hype, so we were just used to it. And then it turned into like this cult thing. Because we released the second record and people were like, fuck you guys, play changes. And then we released the third record and like, fuck you, play changes. So, of course, we're always going to play a few songs from that record and, you know, appease the old fans. It's fun It's fun to reminisce. But we are planning later this year a full U.S. Changes. And, and select Canadian dates, changes tour. We've talked about doing Europe. I don't really know how much of an, how much of an impact that record had in Europe. As much as it did in the in the states, anyway. I, I just I don't know. I've been over there twelve times, and I couldn't tell you what record did better. I'd probably I, say I've heard Burner. from what I've heard from touring people, Europeans are very quick, or maybe it's Russians. I think it's Europeans though are very quick to uh, give you like backhanded compliments. Oh my, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Germans. Yes. Yeah. So okay, Germans are great. They're they're very frank. <laughs> they're it's funny. Frank. They're, they're very frank. Ah, go um, figure. Yeah. But they'll be—they'll come up and be like, "Hey, uh, uh, let me let me don my German accent. I'm gonna take a sip of whiskey." So yes, um, very okay set this time. Uh, you sound you sound kind of bad. Your guitar tone was not very uh, cutting through <laughs> the mix, um, and you you seem to have put on uh, a significant amount of weight. <laughs> You think uh, maybe as, that's as why you, you don't play as good this yeah, time? They, they literally will be like, dude, yeah, dude, you just got fucking fat and like you're, you suck. You, you suck. But can I grab a can can I grab a shirt in uh, S, please? Uh, see, over here we have maybe like a little baggier style. Yeah. Over there, those motherfuckers still wear their shirts as small as they can be, kind of like you know, circa 2003 USA. But it's it's funny because then they'll be like all sweaty from the show. And then they'll rip off this sweaty shirt, slap it on your merch table, and try on a fucking shirt. And then they'll just hand it back to me like, no, no, thank you. Uh, can, may I have an M, please? Like, what the fuck, dude? You just ruined one of my, one of our shirts. And uh, you know, or they'll, they'll they'll point at a shirt, and be like, yes, uh, can I get that, but in white? Like, dude, what what you see is what we got. Sorry. Man. So, That's yeah, awesome. The, the honest Germans. I, mean, I, I guess, but it's. It comes off to us as funny because Americans are so notoriously dishonest. Oh yeah. So yeah, we've sugarcoated everything. So with uh, which let, let's kind of like talk about changes a little bit. When you were recording it, did it seem or feel like anything like? Because I always like you know I was talking with Dave Buckner the other like about a week ago, and you know I was talking about like when you were recording Infest, did it seem like you were like man this is gonna be a fucking game changer when this drops? Or well, you're just like, yeah, there's like, there's like three good songs on here. And so, what did like, he pretty, say? He was like, you know, we, like we knew we had like decent songs, but like our producer kind of helped, like, on some shit was like, hey, like, this isn't your chorus, that's probably your bridge. Rewrite the chorus, so on and so forth, and kind of worked with it, Jay Baumgartner, and you know, like he was kind of talking about the process of just becoming better writers, songwriters. But you know, like you have so long to make that first record, and a lot of those songs are like tired and true, like they play them out, they know they work, they know these parts inside and out. But it was one of those things where he's like, yeah, no, we had no clue it was going to just blow the fuck up. He goes, like, when talking with uh, Jared from Taproot, their drummer, he was like, so we were going to do a tour with them. We're like, from the West Coast to the Midwest, they were headlining. Then when we got from the Midwest to the East Coast, we were going to headline. And then basically, that was the plan. And then about 
two weeks into the tour, Infest drops, starts selling thousands and thousands of copies a week. They get a bus, get rid of the van, and then they're headlining the whole tour. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, that, so, that happens sometimes. I've watched bands, like, cross uh, cross those thresholds on the road. Like, they'll be about to drop a song or about to drop an album, and uh, all of a sudden, holy shit, this band that you've known for so long is now, like, that band. Right. Yeah, I was... But I feel like, awesome. I feel like, you know, as you were just kind of saying, like, you know, a lot of people are like, changes, right? Oh, this isn't changes, this isn't changes. Did it feel like when you were writing changes that you were writing something that people were just going to latch onto and become this this thing that like would last ten years later where people are like that's I, still I, I would have dude I honestly thought I was going to get like four years out of the whole band thing <laughs> like, at the at the very fucking most like I I looked at it semi realistically because I usually have pretty rosy glasses on <laughs> but I was like yeah I know I could probably do this for a few years and go back to college right you know do the do that but. No, I thought I thought we were gonna deal with you know one to three max. Right, max. maybe like your your contracts length. Yeah, like I was like, okay, yeah, that's like the lifespan of a band. Whatever, let's go have fun and do it. So when we were writing it, we had big boners over the music, obviously, because we were 20, 19, 20 years old and just stoked to be there. Right. But uh, we had no fucking idea. I I I, di I did not foresee myself sitting in Joey Sturgis's garage studio in two thousand seven. That I'd be sitting here with you, ten years later, in Grand Rapids, where I now live, uh, in 2018, talking about our sixth full length. Absolutely not. That's a good place to pause. We'll get back into changes in just a second. We're gonna go refill our drinks. So with changes turning ten, um, and you kind of talking about the, you know writing the record. What was the initial reaction to the record? I mean, you kind of talked about how Hot Topic kind of flubbed the numbers a little bit of your own. Yeah, week, yeah. Like, when you're out on the road and kind of actually seeing your record reacting to the fans and, and all that, did it even seem like it was really impacting people that much? I mean, or? at the time, we just thought that was fucking normal. Like, we <laughs> we, <laughs> we just thought that, like, it, that's what happened when you dropped a record. And, cause you we, mean it's not? Yeah, we would, uh, we would like, uh, you know, we were the first tour we did was a Rise Records tour. It was like us, It Prevails, Recon, Every Bridge Burned, and American Me. And... Uh, all the bands were pretty close to the same size, so we did a lot of rotating. And, you know, everyone had decent sets. Recon had the hardest mosh, and we had the best, like, like sing-alongs. Right. So that, so I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, we're just, uh, you know, the other bands are probably just a little smaller. And then we got on, t we were opening for, like, opening, opening a tour for Animosity, First Blood, and uh, Embrace the End. I love that band. Um, so we're opening the tour for these guys, and that's maybe when I started to realize a little bit that we had a more pull than I, I realized. So we'd play these shows, you know, and there'd be like 150 to 500 people in the, in the room, and after we played, it'd be half half full, and all the all the hardcore kids would leave because they, you know, hardcore kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're there they, to see the one band. They're there to support, yeah, and then they, they leave. They, they were a little wishy-washy back then. I'm not sure how they are now because I'm old, but still uh, the same. Yeah. <laughs> so then we then we get to Europe, and uh, I remember the first show I played in Europe. It was in Essen, Germany. I was super jet lagged. I, I had really bad separation anxiety. It was the furthest I'd ever been away from home. And I remember playing, and we opened up with New Beginnings. And uh, as soon as we started the song, the entire fucking room, like 500 Germans, just losing their fucking shit. And I was like, What the? F it's like what? <laughs> what is going on right now? And uh, I just kind of looked around. I looked back at Andrew. I, I 
look across the stage and out at all these Germans screaming our words. I was like, holy fuck, I'm in Germany right now, and they're singing every word of our this record we just wrote last year. And yeah, that, that was probably, at the end of 2008, that's kind of when I started to realize that had, it had caught on. I still didn't think it was going to hold on for so long. Right. But, you know. So, I mean, you kind of had talked about how people, fans especially, had, you know, you put out the next record. It's not changes. Put out the next record. It's not changes. For sure. So, what can, you know, what is it like, you know, having a record that does so well for you so early on in your career, and then you keep putting out a couple other records, and it's people, you know, maybe are going along with you during the journey, but they're, they're still clamoring for that that one record. For sure. Like and it, how do you keep the fans happy? Like, I mean, obviously, like, I, I know you can't write a record for yeah. fans, because, like, if you do that, then you're, you're yeah, never yeah. going to fucking make It'll it. Sound but like shit. you have to kind of, like, I feel like at least kind of keep them in mind when you're writing something like... Yeah, for sure. I mean, when we did Relentless, it was... Chad had already left the band, so we we had that on our shoulders. We were like, well, Dylan's got to kill it. Um, like Was there a lot of pressure from you and the label, like kind of on Dylan? No, to, no, no. The, the label has been so fucking cool with us the entire time. They've never, ever, ever even so much as suggested that we change our sound, ever. Okay. Any, anything that we've ever done musically has been because we wanted to do it. That's awesome. Um, so, Relentless... We were in the studio doing that, and we were like, you yeah, know, let's let's do a little bit of singing, because, uh, fun fact, we were going to sing on Changes, but we didn't have the time in the studio. We, we did Changes in 10 days. Right. So, Relentless, we had three and a half, four weeks or something, and we spent a lot of time on it, and, you know, it, it, it turned out well. We had a few people bummed out about Chad being gone, which I get, but it was still a strong enough record. And it touched on all the stuff that changes it a little bit, and people were happy with it for the most part. It wasn't until Backburner that we started getting a lot of fucking flack. <laughs> it was the first record that we didn't go to to Joey Sturgis, um, so we were with Tom Denny, which was a, it was a different it was a different production style. What did what do you think? I mean, Tom, for, and for those who may not know the name, it's. A day to remember his former guitar player, still one of their writing partners, as far as I know. Yeah, I, uh, I, don't, I don't know if he's written for them in the last few years, but I know that he was a primary writer for a long time after he was out of the band. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, working with him was great. Um, <clears throat> I mean, full disclosure, I, I, I kind of wish that we would have maybe explored more options with... Uh, mixing and mastering because at the time he was still a relatively new producer yeah i think you were one of the he's first a, handful of bands like, he worked yeah, with on a scale yeah, like that uh, yeah and tom was a fucking awesome songwriter yeah i just uh, like when i listened to that record up against a couple you know other records from the time it just it didn't hit quite as hard and it, like, production wise you mean it just like it just didn't have the balls right. i guess but like when it, when we released that record we had the most backlash that we had ever had because we were singing a lot like doing there was a slight style change i mean we had choruses all over the place it was you know we so people were pissed about that but then there were people that were like it doesn't i mean i would like this record if it sounded fucking you know heavy and i was like okay i get that and then wasted youth like people shat on that record like <laughs> like is it hard no to, to to know that you put a lot of time and effort into into these things and just have people 
Germanize it a little bit where they're like, it's, oh, your yeah, change changes is great, but your new records not so much. <laughs> yeah, it's it's annoying, but I get it now, and I, I have much thicker skin than I used to. Like I used to talk shit to people on on Facebook because <laughs> I was I was an angry little asshole. Well, I mean, to be fair, it's something that still happens now and probably was beginning back then. I mean, with us growing up with the internet, the way it became with social media. People will seek you out just to talk shit. Yeah, and like and I don't like fucking a, get that. First I would, and I would always give like snarky replies if people were like total dicks. Um, but like uh, to to be completely honest, when Wasted Youth came around, I only wrote ten percent of that record. Okay, I was uh, like, I was disconnected. I didn't. I, it wasn't that I didn't care, but it's that I I wasn't I wasn't there. Like I was in Ocala recording a record, but I was more focused on. Uh, living this uh, like party tour life that right. I had been living for the last five years um, so I was you know I would drive around Ocala with uh, one of the other guys and we would just like go get smashed at people's houses and party during the day and I didn't care about being at the studio because I was I don't know I was probably depressed who knows I, that was a long time ago but yeah, Wasted Youth, I was very disconnected from all of it. And then after that, that's when I really, like, when, when Dylan left and everyone, and Kaylin left and Dylan Shippy left, all those people, it was just down to me and Brandon. I was like, okay, well, if I want to continue making music at all, I'll, I'll, I'll try and salvage this and see what happens. So that's when I finally kind of got hold of everything again, and I wrote Heavy Hearts, and now I've written another record. So, Out of curiosity, what, what did a... I mean, you talk about Dylan leaving, both Dylans leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously Dylan left to go, you know, be with his wife, now wife and all that. Yeah, yeah. And, and pursue and that. Yeah. Dylan was, the other Dylan uh, ended up focusing on his tattooing career. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, you're basically left with one other person to be a band. Was the label ever like, like, do you guys need help? Like, do we need to, like, try to, like, get you some other musicians or? So, actually, Wasted Youth was the only record that was not on Rise. Okay. So, after Backburner, like, it, we just didn't have great communication with Rise at the time. It was at the, what we thought at the time was a long relationship. And, it, you know, after years of back and forth, sometimes you get tired. And yeah. We just we weren't communicating how we should have, so we got approached by Artery after we were free agents, um, when Backburner was you know uh, about done for the cycle, and they're like, hey, we'll do this for you and this, and we're like, sure, let's let's do it, whatever. And um, after that, uh, Razor and Ty, who was they're running Artery, <laughs> yeah, um, no comment. Yep. I don't so, know the ins and outs of it, but I know they're gone. Yeah. It doesn't seem like a surprise to anybody. No, no. But uh, <laughs> they, they were like, yeah, we don't want to work with you guys anymore. You didn't push enough records. And we're like, okay, whatever. And I didn't give a shit. I, right. could, I, I didn't care. Um, so I think it was our manager at the time was like, hey, Chad wants to come back. Do you want to do it? I was like, yep. He was like, okay, I'll call Craig at Rise, see if he's interested. And of course he was. He's always been good to us. I mean, we don't cost that much for them. Like, right. We obviously make him something if, if we're still releasing records for him. I mean, we're not of my cement, but <laughs> we're moving enough units to make it worth it. Right. So. And I think, like, at the end of the day, I think that's something that I think bands in your position that have been around long enough, the dollars and cents of it, it's like, it makes... Working like if you had like, I always look at like a band like Killswitch Engage. It's like anyone who signed them got a fucking gold mine. It's like you have a graphic designer who does really well, you have a producer who can do his own shit, 
So it's like your overhead costs of like having that band on your roster costs you probably not fucking anything. And like the return is so easy. And it's like I know, especially lately, like you've been doing a lot of home recordings and, and doing a lot of recording stuff. So it's like I'm sure like in that regard, if you have that one person in the band who has like a lot of invested gear to record shit. So by the time you're going to a studio, you're like, yeah, we're like just ready to go and bang this out. And it's not going to cost. We're not going to sit at a studio for like three months being like, well, we have five songs and only one's halfway decent. It's like, no, like the pre-pro and the demo stages and all that shit, like your homework's been done. Exactly. And that, the money to, to get everything done is, yeah. is not going to. Dude, we're, pretty, we're a low budget band, too. Like we for, for Heavy Hearts and Six, we went to Josh Schroeder up in Bay City, now Midland, Michigan. He's way the fuck up there, but he's done. <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> the <laughs> hermit. He's, yeah, he's, he's done. Uh, you know, great work for Color Morale, In Hearts Plea for Wave, Purging, uh, Plea for Purging, uh, For the Fallen Dreams, Legend, uh, all these bands. Like, you know, we have a great working relationship. Me and Josh work really well together in the studio for vocal production. We work well in the studio for songwriting. Like, he's he's my go-to guy, and um, yeah, he, he's awesome to work with. Like, I, I try so hard to get like other bands interested in his stuff, and they they always. Uh, they always like love the production, but I never, I haven't seen any of the bands that I've pitched so far go to him. And that's, you know, that's a lot of that's label shit. Oh, for sure. But dude, they, they don't know what they're missing. No, like, I, everybody like he's done two local bands between Heartsick and now a Virtue, and they're even the pre-pro demo-y versions of shit like that's not mixer master that I've heard of like the new Heartsick record sounds fucking sick. The new a Virtue they just dropped like a song this week actually on AP. Yeah. Sounds great, like no surprise. Uh, it's kind of funny you brought up Josh Schroeder. I was going to bring him up in the line of questioning. But with this new record and working with Josh, like you have worked with Josh before, and obviously you kind of spoke a little bit to about why you are working with Josh again. But what are some of the, like behind the scenes on the new record, like what, can you kind of give us a little bit of a behind the scenes on this new record and yeah, what it's man. done for you, like how, you know, the making of it and so forth, like what it, we can expect? The, First off, Josh is super laid back, so I'd, I'd show up uh, always late, like <laughs> at, at least an hour with, you know, some lunch or whatever, or like I'd leave the gym late or whatever, and I'd get in and he'd just be waiting for me, working on something else, like like editing uh, shit that I did the day before, but he, he, you know, it'd always be at least productive. I'd show up and then we'd be like, all right, what are we doing today? We'd say what we were doing today, and then we would do it. Like, and one thing about Josh that I loved was that he, well, he's a drummer. Yeah. So. Expertise, what up? Yeah, yeah. That fucking band yeah. rules. <laughs> yeah. I want to see them come back so hard. He, so he can write your drum parts. He knows songs. Yeah. We, we list, there actually there was one full day almost that we took at just listening to Top 40s. Like at. Top 40 radio? Top at 40, the, at the time. yeah. We would, yeah, we would go through Spotify and YouTube and all the biggest songs at the time. We were like, why is this big? What's the hook? Where, like, what's the structure? And we, we started to take some of the influence from those, you know, because obviously we're not going to write, like, a pop song with, right. with metal influences, but if we can take a pop structure and turn that into a fucking metal song, obviously the hook will be strong. What? And it, Sorry to cut you off. No, you're Because so I, I want to kind of focus on that just for a second. What what did you end up learning? Like like in, and what, who were you looking like what were some of the songs and artists you were looking uh, at? What did you what did you learn? I, I learned to kiss. Keep it simple stupid? Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Keep it simple stupid. <laughs> like the, a lot of bands especially right now 
they're they're really focused on like the the kind of architects they're like da 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 you know, these complex riffs and, and really cool grooves, which I'm fucking all about. But I'm more of like, a, I like simplistic songwriting because you can put more emphasis on what you're saying right. and how you're saying it rather than showing off how fucking sick you are. Right. Like, I think that's, it's, it's more important. It's something that, that, that lasts longer. Like right. A, I mean, if you, if you watch some dude sit there and shred <laughs> and you're like, holy fuck, that's crazy. Like it, that's a that's a, about the last thought that leaves your mind. That you don't think about that an hour later. You don't yeah. think about that a week later or a month later. Like a, some dude fucking ripping a, a sweep, like arpeggio, does not <laughs> pop into your head in the right. middle of the fucking day while you're at your tits and hooks and. Um, something else that's different about the recording of this record from any of the other ones you've done is you recently became a dad. <laughs> yes, I did. Yes, so. I did. What Me and it, Brandon, actually. What was it like recording this record while basically... Because something I figured, like, I know you have, like, a home studio. Like, you've kind of documented it on your Instagram and so forth. Like, yeah. new pieces, new guitars, so on and so forth, all that shit. How hard was it to find time to write this new record <laughs> while you're, you know, having a, a fairly new ch- Dude, young on, child? Dude, honestly, back then it was way <laughs> it was way easier. That was 20... When... <laughs> Fuck. I don't even know. I'll edit this out. <laughs> 26, I think 2016, 15 and 16, I was like writing the record slowly. But I mean, when you have an infant, yeah. you can do whatever the fuck you want. Right. There'd be times where I could like put her in her sleeper and play The Witcher 3 for fucking 16 <laughs> hours straight right. and, and do absolutely nothing. And I'd come back and she'd just be chilling. I just have to change her diaper and feed her. Right. Uh, now I can't do anything because she's hanging on my fucking head, like, like choking me out, like trying to wrestle me, like nothing ever gets done type of shit. Um, yeah, I couldn't write a record with her right now, which is probably why I have been artistically stagnant the past probably year. Um, but with her, yeah, when she was a baby, I could come home from work and be like, be like, hey, cat, my my lady at home. Like, hey, I gotta, I gotta write some music. She's like, oh, I know. She'd be sitting with the baby, just curled up on the couch, chilling, watching the show. Perfect. Great. This is awesome. I can do whatever I want. This, this whole dad thing's not as busy as everyone told me it was. <laughs> not yet. Yeah, I didn't fucking know it was coming to me, but uh, oh, it bit me all right. <laughs> uh, Emma's tight. Um, and, like being a dad is really cool, and uh, actually, it's funny because I, I had a conversation with Landon. Uh, from the plot knew about this once because he was like how's being a dad and i was like i was like okay here, here here's the real truth about being a dad and uh, this is being a dad in general or being a dad musician being a dad in general okay here's here's how it goes you're you're told that you're supposed to feel a certain way and act a certain way and all this is all this shit's supposed to be so picture perfect but as a dad you're not carrying that life in your body. Right. So you have a, an idea of what you're supposed to feel, but yeah. you don't really. Like, Until I, it happens. Yeah, I watched this kid come out, <laughs> and I, like it, you still, it, it doesn't really hit you yet. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I have to care for this life form. I have to keep it alive. You know, I love it, obviously, because it's mine, but a, a man, a dad, you, you don't connect with the kid right. for a long time. 
Right. And Landon looked at me. He was like, "That's the most honest. <laughs> that's the most honest like account of a of yes. a father I've ever heard." Yeah. Like, I'm not saying you don't love the kid. No, but, no, 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 no. But you're not in love with the kid yet. It's not like the mother who's like, "Oh, I can feel it kicking. I can feel it moving." Like, you're, there's exactly. a more symbiotic relationship. Exactly. For and, the and you, like, as a dad, you can put your fucking hand on a stomach all day. You all day. It yeah. doesn't even come close to the connection that a mother yeah. feels with her kid. It takes time for a father to build the bond, and I'm actually I, I thought it was a great experience because like it's not like I learned to love this this kid. It's that like the the love grew more and more every day right. as as they learn as they learn who you are. Yeah. Because they don't they don't give a fuck about you for at least a year. <laughs> no. And uh, you know you just kind of got to get over the fact that they don't want you. The ego. You got to get rid of your ego. Yeah, exactly. So, but no, that, that was a good. It was a, it was a growth period. So. Um, now, now I went. I got home. I, I time uh, triathlons and stuff on the side. I worked a race in Indiana. I came home today, slept for an hour before this interview, and uh, my kid came up to me. She was, she was like, "Dad, Dad, come on, let's go." I was like, <laughs> "I was like, where are we going?" She's, she looks at me and she's like, "We're going." Uh, what did she say? I don't know. I was like half asleep at the time, but she like wanted me to be somewhere. So that was cool, and it, that's. It's just one of the, like, you realize they grow more and more every day. It's just, it was funny as I was kind of thinking about, like, a, no pun intended, a change happened in your life, and I hope you get that in so many new press interviews. Oh, dude, it'll happen for sure. Uh, but, but basically, like, a change, a big change happened in your life while you're also writing and getting ready to release a new record and just yeah. kind of, you know, everyone's in a different spot in their life. Like, I, you know, I see Chad all the time, like, on these kayak adventures, shirtless, <laughs> and all yeah. this kind of shit, and I'm like, all right, Mr. Fucking Male Model over here with your fucking oh, dude, golden no, skin in Ch- your, your Chad, kayak. Chad would be like, yo, I got baby fever. I'm like, motherfucker, you don't know. It's like, no, <laughs> do not do that. Like, go on your adventures, do all that shit, because once, once you have a kid, that's all done, brother. Right. Like, the only adventure you get is tour. I, I'm glad that I did so much before. before before right. I did because where I'm limited now like we, we honestly still have it pretty good so kind of getting back to, to to writing the record are there any was there any interesting stories about any of the songs like like maybe like you know like one of the songs that you thought was the beginning process of writing the record but like took you forever to like finally oh, get in this actually yeah uh, there are two songs that just jumped into my mind <laughs> like that the will will one of them for sure is going to be one of the biggest songs on the record. We're we're is it about be the second single. Yes. Think? Okay. Yeah. We're we're gonna sh- we're shooting a video for it. Um, in between our more, Detroit more woods and uh, those tree amps. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, okay. So February 16th that we have our CD release show at the shelter. February 22nd we have a CD release show at the Stash, which is about to be announced. Oh. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess I'll have to come to that. Yeah, for sure. I'll get you on the guest. Oh, ew, hey. So we're doing that, but in between those days, because we couldn't get a full, like a solid right, weekend right, right. of shows, because it's short notice. What, you didn't want to go play Streeters in Traverse City? Oh, fuck. <laughs> um, we were like, well, how about this? We got to shoot a few more videos because Rise already paid for them. Brand oh, wow, really? Our so you guys got the budget to like really roll well, out with this our, shit? Our bass player shoots the videos. Oh, okay. So um, he's got his own company, and they're gonna they're going to fly up here. We're gonna shoot our our show on the 16th. Uh, we're gonna do shooting the show for something to release. Well, I, I, that was I, I actually misspoke, but as I was misspeaking, <laughs> I was like, "That's a really fucking good idea." <laughs> <laughs> but so we're gonna. I'm just gonna put it in stone now. We are going to shoot the show on the 16th and the 26th. And then we are going to shoot um, a few more music videos, and you know, maybe 
Yeah, I'm gonna talk about behind the scenes. All oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, we're gonna do that. We're gonna get some more music videos out. We're gonna get some singles out. It's gonna be sick. I'm stoked. Can't wait. Because we usually have only done like one video on a record cycle. And yeah, I'm gonna. It'd be nice to get some really high quality shit out there. Brandon's really good at what he does. He actually went to. He's got a bachelor's in film. He's he's, he's a fucking goose of, uh, like a jack of all trades. And I'm sure everyone thought that that was a worthless <laughs> degree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the degree is probably worthless with his experience in the music industry. But, right. I mean, he he's, he kills it like on everything he does. So. Like when he was like, "Hey, I got a video company." I was like, "I was like, hey, uh, Sean uh, Haydorn, the, the dude right. over at Rise, and Chris Ruby, the like our handler." I was like, "Yo, we gotta have Brandon shoot our videos. Like, it's gotta happen." And they're like, "Yeah, for sure. Here's the money." I was like, "Okay, let's go." <laughs> so, and kind of you know, in, in prepping for this record, you know, you guys are gonna probably be hitting the press circuit really hard. You know, obviously you're talking about CD release shows, which is something, ironically enough, I feel like a lot of bands don't do anymore. Uh, even yeah. on a local level. Maybe because I don't see, obviously I don't live in the towns that some of these For bands sure. live well, in. But Honestly, man, uh, we're doing CD release shows because a tour that we had fell through. <laughs> and, yep. and we were like, well, we got to do something. So let's do some like Michigan shows and make a couple bucks and get kids stoked. And, you know, sell some records and just fucking, you know, I'm not above. I'm not above that shit. Like. I, it's probably so, fun, actually, because you probably haven't played a hometown CD release show like this in yeah, a long we, time. We, I don't think we ever have. I don't right. think we've ever done a CD release show. So, I mean, it's got to be, yeah, I mean, over 10 years fun. later and you're finally doing them. <laughs> so, kind of speaking to touring now that we'll kind of go into the touring. So, I mean, you kind of talked about the two upcoming CD release shows here in Michigan. Yeah. Uh, you talked about the tour that's not happening yeah. currently. Yeah. Um, what are, with you being a dad and, and Brandon being a dad as well, and just kind of the state of the band at this point, what does touring look like in 2018 for, for the Fallen Dreams at this I point? I mean, it's going to be busy as far as being dads and shit. I mean, we're not going to be able to hit the road 10 months a year. Like, it, But we're also at a point where we don't really need to. Right. If we do one or two U.S. tours, a European tour, Aussie and Asia, we're good. Like, it, that's a record cycle to me. I mean, if we have more opportunities... I mean, that's probably a solid almost two years, which is a tour cycle. For sure. So. I mean, if we have if we have more opportunities, like, because, well, you say that's a touring cycle, but that was like, that well, was, back in the day, that was yes. like four months. That was a four-month stint. We would do, like, a U.S. tour, a European tour, uh, Australia, Asia, and then come back to a U.S. tour and then take a month break and go back out. I feel like, so, I guess what why I say, like, that's a touring cycle in my head is it's like, you're also... Granted, you would have already been announced on these things, but you're almost in European touring, European festival season for sure. And then the American festival season, which is I, it's like I don't er, think you, early I don't think you've really were have been put out a record since the uh, the American touring like festival seasons really popped up. Uh, no, no, we haven't. Like the the festival season in America, the Danny that, Wimmer Fest for those it, that like, don't know. Yeah, it, it kind of came out of nowhere because like. It, they, I mean, those festivals were there, but not like to the scale that they are yeah, now. Now yeah. they're now it's like Europe. Yeah, and I think that's cool as fuck because Europe has one of the coolest festival, festival cycles. Seasons, yeah, yeah it, it's just, you you can go over there, play like a few club shows, and then play a shitload of festivals. Is that something maybe you guys are looking at for next year? Is like hitting all the festivals between overseas and here? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, to tell you the truth, we were going to try and do it this year, but we couldn't get the record out in time. Right? Are so, you guys doing? Uh, just because I know this is what sometimes pushes albums back, are you guys releasing this album on vinyl? I know Rise is pretty good about doing vinyl. 
I don't know. To tell you the, to tell you the total truth, I don't think so right off the bat. Okay. Maybe if it maybe if it like is does it, well. if it does well, maybe we'll do like a limited edition. So all you fuckers need to buy this album so yeah, I can yeah. get this on vinyl. <laughs> well, because we also talked about doing like a changes re-release, but the, the stems for the record are long gone. Like it's been a decade. Would you ever? I don't know. I know this is a thing some bands have talked about doing with some of their seminal albums, but like I don't know if the sunset clause is up to where you can do a re-record. Um, I mean, I could bang out a re-record of changes in a day. Probably, yeah. <laughs> That's why, <laughs> like, like everyone who was always like, "Oh, I would love to do a re-record," and so many people were like, "Why?" And they're like, "Cause I could do it like so quick, and the cost to do it would be non not a factor, and yeah, it would dude. sound way better." Yeah, like it probably two. We can probably do a changes re-record for like two grand. And uh, do you think there would be just a fucking backlash on that? Because I don't know, sound man. Like, like, like how it, did you feel about the Lamb of God, Alice of Palaces Burn re-record? I don't, I don't know, but I know uh, Born of Osiris, uh, their their re-record of the uh, their that that record, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it didn't do as well as I thought it was gonna do. Like, it, it's one of those things. Like, with the re-record, everyone's gonna be like, "Oh, you should totally re-release it. You should totally do this." But they're not gonna fucking buy it. They're just gonna say on the internet. That they want it because yeah. people are they want everything and they i mean they don't have to put anything down no. so. so so with with this upcoming tour how many new songs are we are you going to throw into the set um well i know for the release show we're only going to do like three or four biggest reason being because we all live across the country from each other yep so we don't want to we don't want to stretch ourselves too thin and yeah. fuck up a bunch of new tracks <laughs> um, it is going to be scary for me because I'm going to be singing like 12 songs live now. And Have you been practicing that every yourself? day? Yeah, every day. My, like I probably sound hoarse right now because I I spent two hours driving up from Indiana, um, just singing to new songs, singing to different songs, keeping my voice in shape. But uh, have you? Yeah, I got to take really good care of it. Have you really been, have you done the, the combo of playing and singing a whole lot? Yeah, like, I mean I've, I've been I've been well? playing and singing uh, since 2014. Okay. Um, but I mean, as much as you will be in this set, like, do you think that's? Gonna I, be I, I haven't done it this much. <laughs> right. I, I can tell you one thing that, that I I'm ready to get nightmares out of our set because I can't sing like Jeremy. I cannot sing like Jeremy McKinnon. Like that's a, that's also a higher. <laughs> Register, yeah. Like a, that that song, it, it's a higher range for him too, and I just I can't. That's not what I sound like. Someone, a lot of people compare me to like Dustin Kenzer from Thrice. A so bit. a Thrice cover is coming in the set. Oh, I'd love it. Just I do would. Hurricane. So in wrapping up, uh, this is where I'll have you plug your socials, and then the most important part. I always end these episodes with a song. So what would you like me to play the episode out to? You're. Your publicist told me to, to put the new single. Yep. <laughs> but, and I'll probably do that for sure. Yep. But I mean, a podcast can be as long as it wants. So, what's the song that's not your own off the new record that you, like, not a song off the new record that you're obviously pushing, but like, what's a song that, like, when you hear it, you're just like, fuck, man, like, I love this fucking song so much. Like, what's a song that gets, like, maybe a song you've been jamming a lot lately that you want to end the episode out to? Can't Stop This Feeling by Justin Timberlake. Oh my god. I, I'm i shocked at how much, how the, the legs on that fucking song for a single, for a movie that no one gave a shit about. Yeah. And Well, my, my kid gives a shit about it, so I know all about it. Yeah, dude. Can't Stop This Feeling by Justin Timberlake. All right. 
I fucking love Justin Timberlake, so I'm good with that. Yeah, I'm down. His new single's tight, but dude, that the that, one with Chris Stapleton. Yeah. Are you a fan of Chris Stapleton? I don't even know who that is. You should go down that rabbit hole. I'm, I'm, I'm not, not a big country movie. fan, but Chris Stapleton's like my new shit. Uh, and then socials. Where can people find you and or the band? Socials. Socials. Did you already ask me that? I just asked you that. Oh, okay. While you were looking at your phone very cockeyed. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, socials. Uh, Twitter, Jim FTFD. Uh, Instagram, Jim Hocking, H-O-C-K-I-N-G. Band, FTFD band across the board. Um, yeah. And the new album, Six, coming out on February 16th via Rise Records. Yes. Stoked to hear it. Stoked to go to the shows that are apparently going to be filmed as you just broke on this. Yeah. I'm sure your publicist is going to love that information. <laughs> I really hope that we have someone that can at least move a fucking camera. And, uh, yeah, so we'll see you on the road in 2018. Thank you very much for doing this conversation. Absolutely. Thanks, sir. So that was my conversation with Jim Hawking of the band For the Fallen Dreams. A lot of fun uh, doing that conversation. I uh, I think there's something a little bit extra, a little personality that gets put into these episodes when you're able to actually sit across from someone and actually interact with them as you're having the conversation. Uh, so there's actually a few more podcasts I'm going to be doing in person uh, in the next handful of weeks. Uh, so I'm really excited to try to get that like extra connection going on within these episodes. Um, someone actually commented uh, the other day about how the reason that like my Dave Buckner episode did really well was because it sounded more like a conversation someone was having. Um, and I definitely agree with that. And I think, you know, I've never really never really hung out with Jim or really talked to him at length. Uh, I think I can count on like one hand uh, how many times I've actually hung, like met him and uh, had a conversation with him in, in a very short span. But it was a lot of fun taking the, an hour or so out of our day and uh, having a couple of drinks and just kind of talking about you know, the new album, Six, coming out February 16th via Rise Records. Uh, talking about changes, turning 10, talking about the lineage of the band and kind of where they, you know. It's always interesting to me, like, when a band kind of achieves any kind of level of success, kind of very right out the gate to start. Because I feel like that's, it's got to be great because it, it, it does prove that you are a very good band and that there's a reason that you were signed and all this kind of stuff. But on the flip side of it, I feel like sometimes it sets bands up for failure to where if you don't, you can put out a really great record and maybe it'll take a little bit of time to, for your audience to find it and to grow with you. But I feel like if you have instant success, more or less that the problem then becomes is anything less than what you just did is deemed, you know, kind of a failure. And I don't think that's necessarily an accurate description on how to, you know, rate something that you do creatively. Um, so, I mean, it was it was really cool to talk to Jim and, and kind of get a, a more in-depth look at, at changes. But be that as it may, uh, For the Fallen Dreams has been doing a lot of shit lately, getting ready for this record. Uh, they put out that video for Stone, uh, which has been doing really well over the last uh, couple of weeks that it's been out. But, yeah, I want to thank Jim again for taking the time out of his day. He uh, had just come up from... Uh, out of state doing a uh, timing for a running event and basically had just got done doing that, got home, hung out with his family, and then come to came to the bar to, to basically do this conversation with me at the Pyramid Scheme. Uh, also want to say thanks to the Pyramid Scheme for not telling me that we couldn't do this conversation. Uh, maybe next time, though, if I do one again here in town at the Pyramid Scheme, I will ask uh, if I could use the back room to cut down on some of the background noise. Um, all that aside... Uh, we are going to get out of this episode. We have two songs. Again, I kind of feel, 
you know, you got to push the new single. They got a new record coming out very soon. Again, February 16th via Rise Records. The pre-orders are still up. The album is called Six. Uh, the video right now that's out currently, the current single, I should say, is called Stone. Uh, so we're going to end the episode with that. But we're also going to play the episode out officially all the way to the end uh, to the Justin Timberlake song that Jim suggested. So uh, we're going to end this with Stone and then the Justin Timberlake song that Jim wanted. Uh, but socials. Uh, if you would like to follow Jim, you can follow him at Jim FTFD, uh, or you can follow him on Instagram at Jim Hocking, H-O-C-K-I-N-G. If you would like to follow For the Fallen Dreams, basically you could probably just search For the Fallen Dreams, but uh, Instagram, it looked like it was For the Fallen Dreams, uh, Twitter, FTFD Band, and you know what, Facebook, you can just search for The Fallen Dreams. I'm sure you will find it immediately. All that aside, you can also follow Moshpit Nation at moshpitnation.com. You can follow them at moshpitnationwest, capital M-I. And you can also follow them on Twitter and Instagram at moshpitnation. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Johnson Title Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Johnson Title Pod, and you can email me at johnsontitlepod at gmail.com. Also, still a big thing to do, especially with some of these guests that I've been getting, especially some of the guests that I'm going after. If you've listened to one podcast, you've heard this said a million times on all of those, and I will be no exception over here. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, whether it be on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe. Uh, Leave comments. Interact with me if you would like. I try to be interactive across all my different social media. I try to post different things. Uh, That's not necessarily the same shit everywhere you're going. So at least makes it interesting if you are following me across all these different things. Uh, So without further ado, this is For the Fallen Dreams' new song, Stone, again out February 16th via Rise Records. And if you happen to live in the Michigan area, on February 16th they will be playing in Detroit, Michigan at the Shelter for their sixth album release show, as well as playing here in Grand Rapids, Michigan on February 26th at the Intersection. Tickets for both of those shows are still either available through the venues themselves at the Shelter or the Intersection websites, and I'm sure there are links uh, through For the Fallen Dreams social media accounts if you go through those. Probably Facebook would be the best, uh, as typically there is a show link that they share. Uh, So without further ado, we're going to end this episode and get under those songs. Talk to you next week.
you when you 